0: Welcome to the King's Church Ambition podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. Lord, to you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Church. Thank you. So we are, though, at the end of the Joshua series. Some of you will be pleased, delighted, maybe, to know. It's been quite a journey. It was quite a journey, right, for the people of Israel. And we've learned a lot of things. We've learned to be strong and courageous. That God goes before us. We've learned to keep our eyes on him. We've learned to acknowledge what he has done. We've seen that circumcision and blessing are apparently one and the same thing. His way, his agenda, devotion and missing the blessing... Covenant and commitment. And this morning we get to the last chapter in the book, or that's where we're going to be dwelling this morning. Chapter 24. As Jules explained last week, the people are gathered at Shechem, the place that Jules talked about a lot, which is important. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But you could well be forgiven for thinking that at the end of this life, which is nearly at the end of Joshua's life, at the end of his journey, certainly in leading the people of Israel. Well, he's having a kind of good old reminisce. I like a good old reminisce. I'm sure many of you do. We reminisce about things like when chocolate was bigger. (laughs) Particularly wagon wheels. We have them when we play golf, and they're definitely smaller, right? Jumpers for goalposts, music that you can hear the tune. (laughs) My dad seems to reminisce about that a lot, you know? And of course, psychologists would say that actually reflection, looking backwards, is a powerful tool for self learning. I was looking at this the other day, and um, James Bailey in the Harvard Business Review recently wrote "True, true courageous reflection can galvanize your willpower, promote self awareness. It empowers us, actually, it ensures or assures up our value. Gives us self-awareness, quickens us to achieving our potential. All that by reflecting backwards. But actually, that's not really what Joshua is doing here. See, Session was a really significant place, as Joel said the other day. It's mentioned actually about sixty times in the Bible. Significance in the events in the life of Israel happen here. And if we had time today, we could look at how all these things are intertwined within scripture. And it would be fascinating, but actually there's something going on in Joshua's mind here as he gathers the people, which is really important for us to understand. You see, Sheshem was the place where the original covenant was given. Back many, many years before, this place, this oak tree which it talks about in verse 25 or 26, that the very same place, so Abraham was given this vision, this dream, this aspiration, if you like. We see this oak tree appear in Genesis 12. And Abraham is told, God says, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land. I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. So Abraham left Haran. We've been living and he traveled towards Cain the prophet, and we're told that he traveled through the land, the great tree of Moriah, at Cheshire, the giant oak that was there. The Lord appeared and said to your offspring, I will give this land. And so he built an altar there to the Lord. And you see, when Joshua is standing before the people, he recounts this story, I'm sure. And he's reminding the people of their origin story, effectively. And he says, long ago, long ago, your ancestors, they lived far away beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took Abraham and I led him, and I gave him many descendants. And that sounds quite amazing, doesn't it? But it's a bit weird at this point in the verses, if you look hard, it says, I gave him many descendants, and then he just suddenly says, And I, ga- I gave him Isaac, which is one, I think. And all the commentators point at this point to this idea that it's a bit of an odd thing. He took them through the land, and he gave them many cents. Well, one. I don't know about you, but it doesn't sound like many. Slightly underwhelming, to be honest. And it doesn't sound like almost like the promises of God at this point have got off to this start, this momentum that maybe we expect. I don't know about you, but when you maybe get a promise from God, what do you expect to happen? How fast do you expect it to move? And then he says to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. Well, that doesn't seem like an amazing start if you know their stories as well. Esau, this kind of wicked brother in Jacob, through, well, the promises come, but actually he gets taken down to Egypt where the people are enslaved for hundreds of years. I'm sure many of you can relate to this in some respects. I'm sure there are many promises, hopes, dreams, aspirations that maybe you felt God whispered into your heart a long time ago, but perhaps have taken years to materialize. Perhaps you're still waiting on them. Maybe some of you feel like Abraham I was promised many things. What have I got to show? 25 years in the making, one child. What's that all about? Perhaps some of us feel like Jacob. Well, I'm kind of in Egypt right now. The captivity of my brother, the wicked one, well, he seems to be making hay. And we, sometimes we feel like this, don't we? we feel like the promises of God start slow. They start off with setbacks, they start off with pain. They can be difficult things to handle. Sometimes the promises of God feel like they can take a long time to get going. I was reflecting on that as I was thinking about 10 years here and 30 years before we even managed to get here. Of course, history is full of stories, full of success stories that started out with less promise. I always loved the idea of Walt Disney being fired as an animator from his first job in 1919 because he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. Kind of gives me encouragement somehow. <laughs> or Elvis Presley at the Grand Ole Opry in '54, told by the console manager that he should stick to truck driving, he'd never be a singer. Or J.K. Rowling, rejected 12 times when she tried to get the, the Philosopher's Stone published, and now she's sold over 600 million books. And I wonder and I reflect if these people persevere on the basis of simply a dream that they've had that's come from their own minds, their own hearts, how much more should we persevere when things get difficult, when our dreams, our promises are rooted in the person of God? The prophet Zechariah writing a time of Israel's history when it was really difficult, they were really low, they were building a ruined city. Brick by brick, it was a slow and it was a painful start. He wrote these words. He said, do not despise the day of very small beginnings. It's been important to me, small beginnings, to remember that God is faithful. That's what we've looked at time and time again. Remind ourselves his faithfulness keeps us from that feeling of rejection. It keeps setbacks in perspective. And that's exactly what Joshua does here, actually. He starts off telling the story that doesn't start that well, and then there's the turning point. He says, well, it might have started badly, kind of slow, beginning Egypt. Then God sent Moses and brought his people out of Egypt. He opened the Red Sea to let them through, defeated the enemies. They lived in the long wilderness for a long time. Yes, 40 years. That was a bit of an understatement. Most of them died during that period. But then he says this, you know, the Amorites... God gave you victory. The Moabites, God gave victory. Jericho and the Amorites and the Pedazites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Gergeshites and the Hivites, the Jebusites. God defeated every one of them. Joshua concludes this. I gave you the land, Joshua says, as he concludes. I gave you the land. You did not toil, and the cities did not build. You live in them, and you eat from the vineyards. And olive groves that you did not plant. And the people are standing there. In Shechem. Where one person stood all those years before with a dream and ideas thinking, how on earth is this ever going to happen? I'm sure that's what went through Abraham's mind. And now Joshua looks over two and a half million people. In the cities they're living in. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. And the people, they look around, and they think, oh yeah. Look at this. We have our own place, we have our own houses, we have our own cities, our vineyards. I think this should be an encouragement if you're living in the unfulfilled promises of God. Or questions of how on earth these things are ever going to happen. We look at the pace of things, how it moves, but it could be so easy to fix upon the negatives. I find myself doing that at times. But Joshua brings his people back to this symbolic spot so they can see with their own eyes the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God. And he says, not one of all the promises the Lord gave you, not one has failed. Do you know that? Every promise has been fulfilled. And this is a celebration moment, Joshua says. Think about all that's gone past. And now let's think about the future. And what he does there now is, is actually a little bit strange. He takes the promise that people have been living on. And he says, okay, we're going to recommit to this. God has been faithful in us. So we're going to declare our faithfulness to him again. That's for me and my house. The people are really positive and they say, Yeah, far be it for us to forsake God, for yeah, he's been so good. He brought us out of Egypt. We too will serve the Lord because he's our God. And then Joshua replies in not the most encouraging way, really. He says, You're not able to serve the Lord. And the people come back indignantly, No, no, we will serve the Lord. And this is kind of go forth and back and it's a bit like Punch and Judy, you know. Oh, no, you can't. Oh, yes, we will. And Joshua says, okay. Then you be a witness amongst yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. In other words, you're certain about this, right? You're certain. There's no calling off period. And they say, yes, 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 we are certain. We are witnesses. This is what we're going to do. So Joshua, he takes this large stone, and if you've ever been to perhaps you've seen it, there's still there, I think, this stone. And if my computer will wake up, it might be able to get there in a second. Still there, this stone. It was about two metres, I think it's kind of got worn down with weather and other things. But there was this stone that they put there, and the idea was that there was this stone that would bear witness to this day when they declared... We will pursue the Lord. We will follow him. We will honor him. We will. And Joshua says, The stones heard you. The stones heard you, and he will be a witness against us. And it's not like the stone can hear, but it's just like the presence of this thing that will last way beyond generation after generation. This will be a reminder of what we've said as a people. We're going to follow the Lord. It's this big symbol and it's symbolic and it sits there and it's going to be a lasting memorial. Many significant things happen in the life of Israel. And this stone you'll find if you look is continually mentioned in scripture again and again. But what you'll notice is that actually this place that was supposed to be of celebration actually just reminded the people of their inability to keep the promises that they'd made see when Joshua says to the people are you sure you're up for this they genuinely meant it I guess just like you and I in many respects we genuinely meet it don't we yes Lord I will but Joshua understood something about the human condition and Basically, is this: we're far less faithful than we think we are, and that kind of sounds. Because this is really the end of the book, it sounds quite depressing. It sounds a bit of a sombre way just to finish this series, which I think in many ways has been so uplifting. Or is it? Because actually, I think it's a really important pointer. It's a lasting reminder, really, to say, church, friends, brothers and sisters, we can't do this alone. We need something else. We need someone else. And we focused on it last week, the work of Jesus through the cross, this new covenant, the promises made to Abraham are fulfilled in a way that neither Abraham nor Joshua could ever have imagined Might be possible. That through the cross, all people come into relationship with God. It was never just about land, it was never just about a location. It was that all the world would come to know the love of God. And we can look at the cross and we can see God's faithfulness, and we can see God in His man. Drawing us back to relationship with him. And Paul writes this, he says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. All promises get fulfilled through the cross. And if we look at the cross, we can, we can understand that there's not a single promise that remains unanswered. He fulfills them all. So what is the point of this passage in this sermon today? If it's not really that we just have need to persevere and work hard and stay faithful and then we'll achieve incredible things. Well, some of it, but that's that's not really what's going on here. And actually, that's not what our celebrations are about today. Surely... I think I do think that perseverance is important. I think faithfulness is vital. We should cling on to the promises. We should fight fear. We should be courageous. But I want to put it to you this, that whatever we achieve any victories, any of the hopes and the dreams that come to fruition, it will not ultimately come through our faithfulness to God, but rather his faithfulness to us. his faithfulness to us. We've had huge dreams as a church. Different times, different places. Right now we've got huge dreams and we've seen some of them come to fruition and we're hoping for more. I'm so excited about what we can achieve. I look around this room and just see these amazing people and we're seeing glimpses of what God is doing amongst us in this time and in this day. And I don't know how long these things might take or how slow it might feel at times or what setbacks will come along the way. If anything like this place, it took a while. But I do know this. God is faithful to his promises. We play our part for sure. But ultimately, ultimately, it won't be through our faithfulness to him. It will be his faithfulness to us. See, God in his pastures, You know, you did not build it with your own sword and bow. I gave you the land. You did not toil in the cities, you did not build. You live in them and you eat with the vineyards that you did not plant. Joshua acknowledges, he recognizes it wasn't down to them. Everything they had was a gift from God. You know, Abraham didn't volunteer to be the father of many. This is that when God showed up to him, he was actually worshiping other gods. And he comes and God says, I've got a plan for you, follow me. And it wasn't the people who got themselves out of Egypt it wasn't Moses that piled the waters. And it wasn't the people who won the battles. Yes, I guess in one sense they did. They had swords in their hands. But God won the battles. It was God who did these things. Joshua recognises there's a power at work underneath these victories. That when we come to fight battles, when we come to move forward... Sure we bring our skills, our time, our effort, our energy and resources and we are grateful today for many people over many years who have done that here in extraordinary ways. And we've worked hard and we commit ourselves to the Lord but if we achieve victories and if we have any sense of moving forward it's because God gave them to us. God is faithful. As Paul says in the writings of the church in Christ, no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. Maybe the band can come back up. It's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ, Paul says. I think there's something very powerful about this new covenant, new promise, because Jesus' death... And resurrection pays for our failure. Yes, it does. God can actually do something then with our tendency to unfaith him. He doesn't simply wipe away the past. God promises also that he will make us stand firm in Christ. In other words, God upholds in this new covenant not only his end of the bargain, but he upholds ours as well. Do you get that, people? It's incredible. He anoints us. He puts his seal of ownership on us. He puts our spirits in our hearts, guaranteeing what is to come. He gives us the Holy Spirit. God himself comes and dwells within us, empowering us to journey through the struggles, to face the challenges with courage, Having the Spirit work in our lives and in our community is a sign that he will be faithful to his promises. And Paul describes, and he writes, he says, the Holy Spirit is like a deposit. Not like when you hire a car or a deck chair. You don't pay some money and get it back once you bring the thing back. He says, it's like, it's like a mortgage. God lays down his Holy Spirit. And he says, "There's more to come," and I'm committed to praying again and again and again and again and again until the renewal of all things. My payment comes. My payment comes. My payment comes. Despite our mess, this is the God who upholds our end. The Holy Spirit is a promise ongoing sustenance with God. He longs to give it to us. Do you know that? He longs to infuse you with courage to make your heart faithful by his Spirit. You know, We stand here today in the blessing. The blessing of many or many, many people who have been faithful to God's goodness who have known his spirit give them courage to make decisions and to be bold and courageous and have poured out their lives in different ways in order that this might happen. But I think they would all say, it was God in me and through me by his spirit that this happens. That 's what we want today to be about. God in and through us. all things are possible. He upholds his covenant with us, both his end and ours. He is faithful beyond what we could possibly imagine. He's more faithful than you 've ever thought he might be going to stand i'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to sing a song just that acknowledges god's faithfulness and let me encourage you if you're in the midst of a promise you're waiting on if you're in the midst of a place where you're looking for the lord ask him afresh and ask him actually for his thank you for listening for further podcasts or information go to www.kca.church